This last week, I didn't read it, but uh, uh, one of the doctors gave it to me at the hospital. He says, if you have food in your refrigerator or fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, in your wallet, and some spare change, you are among the 8%, the top 8% of the world's wealthiest. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you are more blessed than uh, the million people who will not survive this week. If you have never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible pains of starvation, you are luckier than 500 million people alive and suffering. If you can read this message, you are more fortunate than 3 billion people in the world who cannot read at all. You know, the idea is that if we have an under, have, um, recognized the value of where we're at, the, recognize the value of who we are, we will find a place in which hopefully we develop an attitude of gratitude and an attitude of expectancy for what God wants us to do. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 8 of Roman, excuse me, of Acts. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And the, the title of this morning's message is Often God will send us what we need in a package we don't want. <laughs> Often God will send us what we need in a package we don't want. I think uh, the the way that the best illustration of that is here in Acts chapter 8. It says, and, and Saul was there giving uh, approach to, uh, approval to his death, meaning of Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women, put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, persecution forced the early church, the early Christians, out of Jerusalem. And it was becoming a church that was kind of a localized Jewish movement within, within Jerusalem. But with the persecution came the, the uh, scattering of the church, fleeing from, from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And it was this scattering of, of the church that led to the early uh, evangelization of, of, the, of, the, of the world. It was this persecution that started something that was expected of the gospel, but yet not something, something that was not realized. So God would bring great results from the believers and their suffering. And it would, you know... It, it, it's odd, or seems odd, that our suffering would cause us to become uncomfortable, and our, our being uncomfortable would cause us to move. Any ever, anybody ever been uncomfortable enough to move? 
Sometimes the hard pews are making us uncomfortable enough to put cushions under them, right? <laughs> and if you're sitting on, and we said this last week, uh, did you notice we turned the air on this week? It's not as hot as last week. So, just thought I'd let you know that. Sometimes we have to become uncomfortable to before we'll move. And we don't like it, but it may be the best thing for us because God may be working through our hurts. God may be working through our discomfort. So, often God will send us what we need in packages we don't want. Often God will send us what we need in packages we don't want. So we search for answers as we look at the things that we don't want. I mean, how many have things you don't want? And don't be looking or poking either. All right. <laughs> All right. And I know that's not here. But uh, uh, we, uh, we have things that we don't want. There are things that we don't like, you know. And, and whenever they arrive and uh, whenever they're involved in our lives, we look at them and we look at the, he- you know, the, the, the experience and we begin to analyze it. We begin to think about it. We begin to review it. We begin to find our strong points and look for how we can do this better or how we could have done it better and how that we can change it. And we find our mistakes and we look for reasons and we try to um, subordinate, uh, you know, substantiate our, our conclusions and find a way to somehow make sense out of the wrong package. Out of the package, you know, and what, you know, just like today, we would say, well, you know, that's a good message, but it's not for me. (laughs) Okay, you you don't do that. Okay, so, so we like to think about things, we know, we, and, and we should do this. I mean, you know, we are to count the cost, we are to review and to go over and put things in our head and, you know, you know, develop our minds. That's why we have them. We don't, we don't check our brain at the door to, to have faith whenever we walk into the church. It's not that at all. Our, our, we're involved. It's a total package. It's our faith. It's our understanding. It's our heart. It's, it's, it's all of this combined, putting it together. You, you can't be a person of faith without understanding. You know, you can't be a, a, a man of the word without a, a, a knowledge of history. So it, there, there's, there's a lot that goes into our, our faith, and it's more than just saying that I believe. It's a combination of our belief uh, put together with our understanding of the word, and why, why do we believe, and what do we believe? And we find that placed in front of us in the scriptures. We must search for answers. And the idea is that we must search for our answers, but with the, this search for the answers must take us to the character of God. Okay, that's the first part of what I want to talk about, is the character of God. The character of God, what is it, what is it like to know God, and what is God like? You know, he is, he is more than just, God is more than just a glorified uh, image of ourselves. How many times have we, have we said there, or disagreed with the way things have gone in our life, and, and almost said, well, I would have never done it that way. <laughs> okay, who made you God, you know? Uh, or or um, how about when you were kids growing up and, and maybe it's husband and wife, I don't know. But whenever you grow up, you say, who died and left you, boss? Anybody ever say that when you were a kid? How many still say it? 
<laughs> Who left you, boss? You know? And so what, it, what are we saying? We're saying that we have a better way. We have a better way of looking at it. Uh, we have a better way of looking at our life. We have a better way of looking at the circumstances. But it, it takes us to the character of God. And do, what do we know of God? Well, it's the revelation of his character in the Word. And I always go back to the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are that we are to be able to pick these and pull these from our life at any moment. And, and it's, this is the character of God, if it's to be our character of love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and, and kindness and meekness and long-suffering. That these are to be the character of God. And then we take this nature of God. And I like this as the idea. God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful, but you combined it with the, the fruits, which is gentleness, humility, and patience. So here's an all-powerful being who is gentle, humble, and patient. Hmm. Here is an all-knowing God, omniscient. <clears throat> he has all knowledge. He doesn't remember the past. He doesn't see into the future. He has all knowledge. So here is, a, here is an all-knowing being who is long-suffering, kind, and meek. All-knowing God who is long-suffering, kind, and meek. He knows the mistakes that we're going to make next week, next month, next year, in the next ten years, and it doesn't affect the way that he loves us now. He knows all the mistakes we've made in the past. doesn't affect his love for us now. All-knowing. He is everywhere present. God is always present, but he would combine those with the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace. He is everywhere present, and his love and joy and peace is always there with us. So as we begin then to search this package that has come to us that we don't quite like, God will send us what we need in a package that we don't want. God, as we start to, you know, and God is not just looking at us and we're not saying, well, if I were God, I would have done it this way. And if I were God, you know, disagreeing. So we surround ourselves in God's presence. Why would we ever think that God is short-tempered, irrational, cynical, confused, <laughs> Where would we ever, why would we ever think that he is somehow distant from us? Because we got this package that we don't want. <laughs> and so therefore the only conclusion is God must not be around. Why? Well, it's not the way I would have done it. <laughs> it's not the way I would have thought of it. So we allow his character, his presence to engulf us not only in our thinking, but we must seek him and his provisions with our heart. That our heart is, in, and, and it's important, Jewish thought is, heart is a metaphor for the central part of the human person, where thinking and desire come together, mutually shaped by one another. So whenever we say the heart, we're not just talking about this organ that is beating and pumping blood through our, through our bodies, the heart is a metaphor for the central part of the human person, where thinking and desire come together. Thinking and desire, so that we must search for him with our whole heart. 
where our thinking and our desires come together. And whenever we, and, and they, mutually, they mutually support one another and shape one another. So our desires and our thinking come together. Our desires and our, and our wants and our desires and our emotions, they, all, they come together in our heart. Why would we send out cards that said, you stole my heart? Well, are you dead? Stole your heart? We knew immediately what that was, you know? We didn't think that you were, you knew immediately what I meant, didn't you? You stole my heart. You would think of that as a metaphor. I said this morning, I've got somebody's heart up here. You would go, what? <laughs> I stole it. What? <laughs> you know, you killed somebody and ripped their heart out of, you know, some horror film or something. But we knew immediately whenever we say, stole my heart. Rhonda stole my heart. I stole her beanie. That's another story. <laughs> in college, back when we went to college, freshmen had an orientation, and uh, orientations were that they had to um, submit <laughs> to older upperclassmen, and they had to wear beanies. So I stole her beanie, so she had to go for a walk with me to get it back. How romantic, huh? How romantic. Yeah, stole her beanie. Stole her beanie, and here's years later, you know. Yeah, you heard that. Yeah. Did you steal her beanie? <laughs> so we have this, you know, so we know what it means whenever we're talking about the metaphor of the heart, the, the, the emotions and the thinking and, and how that it comes together. So it's, and whenever we have our relationship with God, it's more than the letter of the law. It's more than I've kept the Ten Commandments like the Pharisees. I've done this, I've done that. It's more than just the doing. It is the emotions and the doing. It's the thinking and the, and the will coming together. And, I, you know, I always, I always think of... We, we talked about uh, original sin this morning in, in, in school class. And, you know, in that creation where God created uh, Adam and Eve, that it isn't, and I always marvel at this, that God created them. Why didn't he just touch them? You know, why didn't he give them the old shock treatment? Clear, boom. <laughs> you know, why didn't he just do the, you know, get out the life support stuff and, and give them a quick shock and jolt their life, you know. Clear, boom, you know. And stand back and watch, kaboom, 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 you know. All right, we got to start the heart, start the heart. Why did he do that? Why did he breathe into them the breath of life, made them a living soul? See, he didn't just start their heart. He didn't just start their heart. He breathed into them the breath of life. They became alive. So you see, our life, whenever we start looking and we begin to see ourselves, we are more than just breathing objects. <laughs> we have the breath of life in us and we are a living soul and we are going to live forever. And God is involved in our heart, our thinking, and our emotions and pulling this together. Now, God breathed into us. Then he desires for us to seek him and his provisions with all of our heart. And that's why God put in the garden the tree. 
the tree was in the garden, not only for obedience and for who owns this place, but he wanted them to know, he wanted Adam and Eve to know, you don't know it all yet. There are things that you need to know. The knowledge of good and evil. There are things that you need to know that my rela the relationship that I will have with you will teach you. And these are how and where we are at in our life. There are things that we need to know about life. And sometimes they come to us in packages that we don't want. And as we look back at the garden, we would look at that tree and say, well, why didn't God just take that tree out of there? Well, why doesn't God take these other things out of our lives, out of everybody's life? Just make it easier. But there are things that we need to know. Not just with our minds, but with our emotions. There is a relational experience that we are to have with God that will, that will take us from where we are to where we need to be. Why? Because we all need to grow and develop. God isn't done with us yet. Why? Because you're still here. I mean, alive. <laughs> if you were done, you wouldn't be here. You'd be in heaven. Hopefully. <laughs> there must be the breath of the Spirit of God, the breath of life. Allow that breath to breathe His Word into us. Now, God alone gives us the wise counsel, the correct application of His Word the correct application of our life into his word. We're not just serving God. God is in us serving us to fulfill his mission, his purpose. You know, it isn't what, that God needs me so that he can do something. I need God to accomplish his purpose that I can find wholeness. And we spoke about this in Sunday school. The idea of holiness is the idea of holiness. And the idea of holiness is wholeness. So holiness is a separation of ourselves from sin to God. And in this separation, we find wholeness for our life. Sin is a destructive agent. Sin is a destroying agent. Sin separates us. God desires closeness. God desires a unique relationship with each one of us that is personal and individual. He wants our heart to be stolen by our love for him and recognizing his love for us. Sometimes I think we're more like the Pharisees than, uh, than, we, than we like to imagine. We often think in terms of legalism, <laughs> do this and get this reward, do that and fail and get punished. But, you know, the Pharisees, they anxiously awaited for the Messiah to come. They believed they would be uh, uh, made his cabinet members, you know, they, that the Messiah would need somebody to set up his government. <clears throat> and so whenever the Messiah would come and the new Jewish kingdom would, would arise, that he would, they would be the guys to stand right by him because they, had, they were his cabinet people. They knew the law and they kept the law. But when Jesus came as an untrained man from Galilee, they mocked him. He didn't fit their image of a Messiah. And when God sends what we need in a package that we don't want, sometimes I think we're a lot like the Pharisees. This is not what I expected. We, 
look at the events and wonder why. We can't make sense of this one. You know, we were believing for our Messiah to come and, you know, prophesied Messiah. We were believing for that. And here along comes this Galilean who, you know, he's untrained and he's uneducated and he doesn't, he doesn't fit in our group. We defend our reasoning. <laughs> you know, the Messiah, the, the Pharisees defended their reasoning. You know, how could, could anything good come out of this place? Could anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, and can anything good come from a carpenter? You know? And so they defended their reasoning. If God had done it the way that they had intended it, this would be a much better Messiah. We are not seeing that God set, sent us. We don't we're not seeing that God sent us the package because we don't like it. This is not what I had intended. And then in Luke, Luke chapter 17, it says, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered to them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is what? It's within you. The Pharisees were referring to Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah and the earthly kingdom. They were looking for a Messiah based on their mental perception of Scripture, their mental conclusion as to what, well, a Messiah is coming, and the prophet says it's going to be like this. So therefore they jumped from there to their conclusion of a, 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 a riding on a white horse and coming in and throwing out the Romans. They relied upon their interpretation rather than relying on the Spirit of God's leading within them. They knew of God. They knew of His promises. They knew of a promised Messiah. They searched their reasoning to find what the Messiah would do and what the Messiah would be. And, and, but Jesus, who is the Messiah was there, but they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't recognize him because he wasn't in a package that they wanted him. Then in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 28. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 28. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to, to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you have dismissed you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon is a man who recognized the Messiah when he was a month old. And yet the Pharisees and the people of Nazareth couldn't recognize Jesus at the height of his ministry. Why? Because of their hearts. 
They couldn't reckon. Here's Simeon seeing a baby, a month old, and saying, here's the Messiah. And here's Jesus coming to the Pharisees and coming to Nazareth and coming to these places and, and declaring the message of God and declaring all this. And what are the people doing? He's not the Messiah. Well, no one's ever done this before. No one's ever accomplished these miracles. No one has ever spoke like this. Oh, that's not the Messiah. Why? He didn't come on a white horse. They mocked him. The signs and wonders that no human being had ever accomplished. They couldn't get beyond the package. He's from Galilee. For us, we must seek him and his provisions. We must seek him with our whole heart and the combination of our intellect and our emotions. We will find him. How much of our heart does Jesus occupy? You see, those who knew Jesus and his ways must know him by the spirit and by the intellect. There's a key difference between Simeon and the Pharisees. Jesus said in Mark 6, 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives and his own house. He is without honor. God sends what we need in the package that we don't want. Now, honor, and as we put this together, hopefully, in our own minds, we want to come to this part called honor. And honor means time, value. You see, if I have no time for you, that's really dishonor. Or if I make time for you, it is honor. So whenever the prophet is without honor in his own country, they don't have time for him. They don't value him. They don't value what he is about. And how much of our heart does Jesus occupy? How much time do we make to honor him? Honor, the word implies value, precious, weighty, such as gold. You're, you place your gold in a place of honor. In other words, to honor is to give time, to appreciate, to, to esteem, to respect. Dishonor is to think of something common, light, or easily done away with. Shameful, humiliation. Honor then can be displayed in actions, words, and thoughts. So when we honor God with our minds and with our hearts, it is the come to, coming together of our intellect and our emotions. And the Pharisees saw Jesus. And they were an intellectual people looking for a, a Messiah. And they couldn't find him. When Simeon sees Jesus at 30 days old... He recognizes him because he recognizes his relationship with God as something that is inspired in his heart and in his emotions that come together with his knowledge of the promise. This is where we come with our honor. Jesus said, the hometown people of Nazareth withheld their honor of him. They did not treat him as valuable. When Jesus showed up at Nazareth to to perform the miracles and to, to pro proclaim the message. Nothing could be done. 
because they could not get beyond the idea, this package, what God had for them was the blessing of God. What they saw was a packaged individual that grew up in their town. And they could not allow themselves to give time to him. He is ordinary. Because of this dishonor, they received a partial reward, the scripture says. They were sent what they needed in a package they did not want. And because of their dishonor, Jesus was restrained from doing any mighty works. Nothing notable occurred. Why? Because they did not honor him. They did not honor God with their time. Because he came in a way they didn't see, they didn't recognize. He is the Son of God, filled with God's Spirit without measure, sent to heal the sick and all who were oppressed of the devil. But he could not fulfill his commission, not because it wasn't God's will, but because they restricted him by withholding honor. God sending what they need in a package they could not open. They treated Jesus as common. They received a very small portion of what God could do. And that's the challenge that we have for our lives. Are we like, you know, the Pharisees? That we have an intellectual perception of God and we've read the book and we got this idea of what God is supposed to do? and he doesn't do it the way we think he should, so therefore this must not be right, and so we reason and we think, and those are all good things. God is not against reasoning, and God is not against the intellect. He wouldn't have created it. But he's also, there is, there is a combination of the intellect and of the heart. There's a combination, and for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. From out of the emotions of the heart and the intellect comes blessings and cursings. The scripture challenges us, can blessing and cursings come from the same, can sweet water and bitter water come from the same well? Can, can our life really be filled with that much anger and guilt and condemnation and love and patience and gentleness and meekness and kindness? Can we occupy both of those places and spew that out? And the challenge is that we allow our relationship with Jesus Christ to affect our emotions, to affect our hearts, to affect our intellect and the application so that we can be like Simeon. We can recognize Jesus Christ when he shows up <laughs> in a package that is 30 days old versus the individuals who saw Jesus at the height of his ministry performing miraculous works, saying things that no man had ever said in a way that hadn't been said. And they couldn't see him. So in our lives, what package has shown up, has been delivered? What package has been delivered to our lives? 
Now, is that package Jesus? Up here, well, I don't think so. <laughs> but here, it feels like God. God is with us. He'll never leave us nor for back to the character of God. All omnipresent. He's everywhere present at the same time, but he's there in meekness, gentleness, in his fruits. God is there. And because he didn't come the way we expected, we didn't expect the package to arrive this way. What does our faith say? What does our heart say? Whenever we put together the intellect and the emotions, combine the intellect of our knowledge of God's word and the understanding of our life with a heart that says God and knows that God is with them. Can we say, as Simeon, whoa, this is the promise of God for my life. This is Jesus. Shall we stand? <laughs> so we honor Jesus. We honor him with his word. We honor him with this place in our lives that we give him. And it is a place of honor because we take time to pray. Take time to be in church. Take time to sing his praises. Take time to read his word. That's a place of honor. And as we give God that place of honor, we find that Jesus can do many great things in our lives. God will do great things in our life. Why? Because we give him a place of honor. He could do nothing in Nazareth, in Nazareth, because they didn't honor him. They gave no time for him. 